Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have the pleasure of having with me Nicole Guanzara, who is the CEO and founder of EAC. I'm excited to talk to Nicole today because she is not only the, the founder of EAC, but also someone who is an expert in MBA education as well as admissions and really helping bridging the gap in and access and confidence to helping underrepresented minorities, women, and first-generation talent on their journey throughout their careers and to business school and beyond. So Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. I always enjoy chatting with you and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And we always start with a warm-up question on the MBA Insider Podcast. And so my warm-up question to you is, what is a book that has had a profound impact on your life and why? Thanks, Al. It's a pleasure to be here. Always a great time when we chat. I would say, I, I hmm, the book that's had the most pro- profound effect, I don't know if anyone said this before, but for me, it's the Bible, <laughs> the holy book, the good book itself, because there's nothing new under the sun, I truly believe. It's just an evolution or some other involvement of something that's already happened in the Bible and back before Jesus, after Jesus. So I find that it's been a guiding light every step for me in life. I'm a woman of faith. And so in every stage of my life, whether I'm going through joy, whether I'm going through sorrow, whether I'm going through how to start a business or whatever it is, there is always a verse or six that can help me navigate that. So I'd say most profound and continues to be an answer to almost every question I have is the Bible. Yeah. And I think you're right. There are no shortage of stories, verses, songs, et cetera, to pull from and learn from. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So speaking of your journey, tell us what do you do now and how did you get started in doing it? Yes, I help organizations think strategically about how to nurture and develop early career talent, specifically underrepresented minorities, women, and first-generation talent. So we do workshops, we'll do strategic programming, as well as speaking engagements to help organizations think outside of the box from their standard recruiting practices, standard on-campus programming, and how are they reaching the talent that they need to not only meet business goals, but also thinking from a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging standpoint, are they really being thoughtful and authentic about their approach? And let's just be real, as the boomer generation is is leaving the workforce and millennials, we're in there right now, but Gen Z and uh, generations to come it's so necessary to nurture the conversation now versus later when that gap is really standing. So that's what EAC does on a day-to-day, and that's what our team is working on. But I would say when 
About 18 years ago, my family immigrated to the United States from Zimbabwe. And being the first in my family to go to college in the United States, it's a first-gen experience, not knowing how to navigate my path to college, not knowing what am I supposed to do. We didn't have the resources as well to go on these college tours that some folks are afforded. And so it was organizations that took an opportunity to pay for bus tours for me to see different universities, to connect me with different contacts and just help me advocate for myself during university that changed the trajectory of my life and what I do. And so my career to date has really been around advocating for others, empowering them. And I always call it, call it a mirroring effect of helping them see the value in themselves so they can advocate for their future. And I would say since that had such an impact on me, I wanted to really focus on my business on how could I reduce the access gap? How could we reduce the confidence gap? Who could we bring in to fund access to programs, access to resources so that we can unburden the burdened? Because I can't charge someone something if I couldn't have afforded it myself. So I am bridging that gap between the people who need the support and the people who can afford to give the support. So many things in there would love to dig into. I think the the one that stands out to me, though, is I think you're right in acknowledging that, you know, particularly from your own lived experience, and I can certainly attest to some of these things, the fact that along someone's journey, there are moments and a lot of times where other people do a small thing of some kind Mm -hmm. uh, that enable uh, a much larger thing. And even in uh, people who are really successful, the hard work and, and discipline and, and work ethic it takes to achieve a goal is, is certainly there. But a lot of times it also comes from the things that the small things that people do to enable that the, the bus voucher, the taking someone to visit a campus or taking someone to visit mm-hmm. a company, things like that. And those sometimes can often make the world a difference, particularly when it comes to serving populations that traditionally do not get access to that for a myriad of different reasons, right? And so that's certainly something that stuck out to me as you were talking about that. And maybe as a follow-up, certainly can see the you talking from your own lived experience and seeing some of these things, why it motivated you to do this. But professionally, what were you doing before you started getting into this work? And and what did you see there that gave you the idea and the inspiration to start your own company to do this work? Of course. I worked in business school admissions and it was an eye-opening space because I learned so much. My role was really focused on advocating for underrepresented populations and how can they get into these top schools? How can they really just articulate their stories? How do they navigate some of the challenges that are very real, statistically proven around GMAT and more quant-heavy courses sometimes that can be really challenging? And also working in the nonprofit space and advocating for young women on their journeys to wherever their careers would take them. But what business acumen did they need in the meantime? Hosting conferences so that they could meet other women who were further along in their careers, but they could see themselves in that future. They could learn about what does a career in finance look like? Oh, I have X major, but I never thought my career could fit in this space and place. So transferable skills, how are we thinking through that? But what I realized is it 
a lot of these resources were operating in the same realm or same space. So oftentimes on the business school side, one of the most heartbreaking conversations I would hear all the time when I'm talking to candidates is, well, I have X GMAT score, therefore I'm not good enough for anything. Why? Because they were only targeting those certain schools that were supposedly very elite versus looking at what do I have to bring to the table and what do I have to offer and what school is going to be the best fit for me. So that was a conversation having over and again. And then talking to the undergrad women as well about, well, I'm a freshman and I haven't interned yet. I'm so behind. And you're just taking on all of this sometimes unnecessary stress versus charting it out and taking a very introspective look. You'll catch this trend. I always encourage people to take an introspective look before moving. But a lot of these conversations were being had or access to these large companies in that small group. And I wanted to break outside of that. I wanted to ensure that with my organization, we are going forward to the companies and thinking about, well, this is your major recruiting space, but have you looked outside of that? Yes, you're going to HBCUs, but are you going to only two? How many of them exist? How many Hispanic serving institutions exist? And how are you looking beyond that so you can find extreme talent, and you're not fighting for the same audiences over and again. How are you truly being authentic about how you strategize? And I think that pathway also leads to people not getting left behind because folks are only focusing on certain groups of talent and where to find them. One of the things I always think about when when we talk about this work is this idea of how do we expand the pie, right? And so, as opposed to trying to divide the pie in the space mm -hmm. that it's in, or you know, if it's a if it's a large pepperoni pizza and there's twelve slices, and we're trying to divide twelve slices, how do we find a way to create a extra large pizza that <laughs> is, it. I don't know, maybe sixteen slices or twenty slices? And right. I think what you're illustrating, though, I think sometimes is the challenge in terms of, of the, this work, while it is, is, is great to recruit in these areas, unless we're expanding the pie, unless we're going from the large to the extra large, our, our efforts are going are gonna to fall short and really to being able to expand the access to opportunities to a lot, mm -hmm. of these, a lot of these programs. Do you think that's a fair analogy? <laughs> I, I believe so. We're always trying to slice that, you know, pie, but we're slicing it almost if you think of it sideways, right? <laughs> Instead right. of expanding yeah. the opportunity, you're cutting through it. So I think that's a perfect visual and analogy of exactly what's going on. We're not thinking far enough outside of the box or how to restructure the square box into a round box or a different shape so that, you know, we can expand our sites. Okay, so I know you get to work with companies a lot, but I also know you get to work a lot with professionals, in particular young professionals, folks who are earlier in their careers and, and whatnot. We'd love to know from you in the work that you do, what are some of the challenges that you see these really driven and motivated early career professionals really struggling with in their careers? The number one challenge is the pay gap. The pay gap is so real when I speak to, especially recently, I was speaking to a young woman who made a career transition to make more money. She's switching from HR to tech and she wants to make more money. And so for her, she's going through the interview process and navigating. She gets the job. 
it's giving her more money than she's ever seen. So her next natural step is to just take the job. But what she finds out after the fact was her male counterpart doing the same job was getting $5 more per hour than what she was getting paid. So while it might not seem like a lot, but if you look at it over the scale of a year, that's now a $10,000 gap. And so the challenge there is, I love that pay transparency is starting to become more common and folks are starting to have more conversations, but it's really challenging because now she's stuck in a place where either now you're charting through the company's pay raise process or you're waiting till you move into the next role, but she's already behind in terms of the money she's getting paid. So I would say the pay gap is the number one area that I'm seeing folks being challenged. And then the next area is flexibility. While companies are trying or attempting or saying that they are giving more flexible work environments, I don't think they're doing enough to adapt to what people need in that flexible environment. So whether it is ensuring that folks have one or two days that they have an option to go into the office, if that what if that's what works, right? Because for some people socially, being home all the time is not healthy for them. Or for others, if they work from home parents, forcing them to come into the office is also a very difficult challenge. I'll give you an example. I recently was talking to a parent who was working through the pandemic. They got a pay cut, but they're still, they got a pay cut. They come back into the, the company recovering and they're working from home all as well. But now they're saying, but you should start coming into the office. We highly recommend you start coming into the office. But what they don't do is replace that pay cut. And what they also don't do is give any extra benefits to pay for daycare when that parent now has to come into the office. So it's starting to create challenges for that parent where they may as they may have been a very loyal person, but things like that, though they may be little, it's really difficult for them to stay in that job, in that place, because they're having to make arrangements with less pay and less flexibility. So I would say those are there's many others, but the number two, the number two that I'm seeing right now is that pay as well as the flexibility. Oh, and the last one I'll mention really quickly is a false hope to grow in the company. And it's a great growth opportunity when you start in the company, but there's no visible steps to help you get there. Sure, sure. So let's maybe take the other side of this for a second. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that there are some of these challenge challenges in the work that you do, what's some of the advice or what are some of the uh, things you encourage early career professionals to focus on to either overcome these these challenges that often exist or to help them figure out in given this opportunity that I have in front of me, mm -hmm. how do I plot a, a path forward in my career that works for me? 
Yes. So I'd say when it comes to pay, speak up, ask questions of people. If there's someone you feel comfortable with or someone you can reach out to, ask questions. Hey, I'm looking at this area. Do you have a general pay band? What have you seen in this area? Speak to different genders, speak to folks with different experiences and start to gather information because there's only so much you can get from Glassdoor or, you know, from Googling around because that information may not be transparent, but there are folks that will be willing to at least share. So you have an idea, look at maybe if there's an equivalent role in another department at that company, what was the pay looking like for that role as well? So you can look on the other side, is it working alongside what you should be paid or what you need to be paid? And sometimes it's not always just about the dollar amount as well. Look at the compensation package, because that will also lean towards that flexibility. If you need healthcare, because that is going to be a really important component for you, for your family, for whatever it is that you need it for. Sometimes that may trump that dollar number, or there's some other benefit that you need certain days off, or you need some other benefit. So that compensation package. So talk to folks, ask questions. Don't be afraid. I had a recruiter from a big tech company recently tell me when you're looking for a job, immediately add 20% because you're probably probably undervaluing yourself in whatever number you're looking at. And I would say when it comes to flexibility, again, speak up. And if you're in an environment that is not going to advocate for you, or it's a space where you're not supposed to be anymore, one of the things that's going to happen is they either say, you know what, we are not going to be able to work with you on that. And that's okay. And that's a sign that it's time for you to find something else and to move on. There are so many jobs out there for you to stay around in a space where you're not feeling valued when you're not contributing. So I would say, speak up, ask questions, ask the why. Don't just take on more stuff all the time in hopes that you'll be noticed later on. You have to advocate for yourself. So there are a lot of different ways, I think, that young professionals, early career professionals can, can grow in their career. And certainly mm -hmm. one of them is by going back to get a graduate degree, particularly in an MBA. And I know yeah. this is something you know a lot about because it's it's something you used to work in and you've worked with plenty of MBA students and alum over the years. And would be curious to know from your perspective, what is the opportunity and what is the potential value for early career professionals to pursue an MBA? How can that help them grow in their career and really uh, get to some greater, uh, really elevate them in their career? I would say the MBA is a great degree to help you transition your career. Many of the, about half of the folks I would work with were looking to transition from, say, engineering to go into consulting, or they're looking to make a complete pivot in their career, or the other side is, hey, I just want to elevate where I can go next. So the MBA is a great degree to do that. One, because the basic skills with a degree on its own will help you do that, but also many schools will have a joint degree. So it's a great time to explore. Remember in undergrad when you know this was a time that you could ask questions, how do I do this? Where do I go there? Can I have some coffee chats with people? This is another opportunity to do the same thing. Can you combine your degree with a jurisdiction? 
doctorate because you're really interested in law? Can you do that with a with a healthcare degree? Maybe you want you're a doctor and you know you you want to advocate and add an MBA to that. So it's a really good degree to help you level up to the next space. But outside of the classes, one of the biggest values from an MBA is the community that you get from from the programs. So I always advocate for folks to speak to their whoever it is on campus that they're that they're going to connect with. Is it clubs? Is it going to be student services? Whoever it is. What does that look like for you in terms of the environment? Because your peers, after you graduate, they're the folks that may be creating opportunities with you. Maybe you're going to start a business together. Maybe they're going to talk to their boss about an opportunity that might be great for you to go in. So the value of the community that you're going to go to school with and graduate with is right there alongside that degree that you're going to get. So I always advocate for for going back to school if you can. And there's all of these things that People may try to take away from you, but education is something that no one can ever discredit or devalue you from because you've gone there, you had the experience. So if anything, at the end of the day, you have enhanced your knowledge and there's never anything wrong with continued learning. So you gave a great great pitch for the, the value and the opportunity of an MBA, particularly for early career professionals. I'd be curious to know, when should someone start thinking about exploring an MBA, particularly if they're early in their career, let's say they're listening and they're like, all right, Nicole, I'm sold. But you know, when should they start considering it? And maybe what types of questions should they be asking themselves or pondering to figure out, is this the right next step for me? I recommend waiting a few years before you pursue your MBA, at least two. I do understand that there are dual programs in undergrad, and if that's a good fit, you absolutely should do it. But the benefit of waiting a little bit longer is you've had some time to explore. What is it that I like and I don't like? Maybe you got to intern only once while you're an undergrad. So now you get into the workforce and explore the skills that you've learned. And then after those two years, three years, then you're going back to uh, get an MBA. The beauty of the exams, I always tell folks, but your last year in your undergrad, take your GMAT, take your GRE, because those scores are valid for five years. So that's one less thing for you to worry about. Within that window, go ahead and utilize that time to work, and then you can apply to a program later on. But when they're Another question they should ask themselves outside of, is it time? What have I learned? What do I like? What don't I like is, why am I going back to get this degree? Because with any sort of education, it's an investment. And depending on which school you go to, it's going to be a significant amount of money that you're taking out for not only tuition, but living expenses. You might do a trek. You might go visit. You might study abroad while you're there. So you need to really ask yourself, why are you doing that? If it's for vanity purposes, because you want three letters next to your degree, I would reconsider that. But if you're really thinking, okay, I want to be a director, I want to be a vice president one day in this sector, or maybe in this area, and from the people I've spoken with, this will be valuable to me, then that is a really great reason to go back to school. 
or I would like to learn more about this certain area for a potential transition in the future, then that is a great reason to go back to school. So really taking an introspective look of why you want to go back and then talking to folks around you to get a better understanding of the folks alongside you. Because if you're early in your career, you've only had so much experience. So also talk to folks who are later in their careers. What kind of degrees have you pursued? What kind of certifications? What kind of things have you done that have helped you elevate your career? And that will also help you answer your why. So those are those are wonderful questions and reflections that professionals can think about if they're pondering an MBA or wondering if it's it's right for them and definitely agree because it is such an investment it's important to do do that kind of work uh, i know that in addition to you know working directly with early career professionals you also spend a lot of time you know working with organizations in terms of how to a- attract them and develop them and uh, really help them unleash their potential in the workplace i would love to know maybe just from your perspective and i'm just i'm riffing here uh, mm-hmm. what are uh, one or two things that uh, organizations can do better when they have early career talent in their organization and want to keep them, retain them, help them grow? One of the major things they should do is be transparent, as transparent as they can be with that talent going in. It's really bright and shiny, right? When it's uh, come work for our organization, it's going to be great. But be transparent as they're going in of this is the potential for growth within this area. This is where we really see you adding value. Here are some resources for you to help you as you grow, because some of it is going to be self-study. Some of it is going to be just work you have to discover on your own, but also making sure to check in along the way. Are you still living up to the value and the bright shining light that was there when you were recruiting them. Are you still checking in to make sure, well, you know, at this point in the career or at this point in our numbers, we should really consider who has management potential and how do we do that? What kind of programs do we need to advocate internally? If it's a company that sponsors education, you know, they should think about, well, is our process for sponsorship complicated? So maybe people might leave us halfway through because they wanted to get a degree and we promised them a degree, but we make it really difficult to redeem. Or here's a fast track to this. It shouldn't be a setting where only someone has to leave in order for a promotion to happen. Or thinking about the language, are they doing training along the way? Because sometimes it's more than just some kind of reward redemption or benefit redemption. Sometimes it's just around language because microaggressions, biases, things like that are very real and very damaging, especially for underrepresented populations. So how are they thinking about that day-to-day interaction? So I would say the number one thing to be mindful of is whatever you promise them from the beginning, even as it evolves. If something's going to change, I understand that. But make sure that you're keeping folks abreast of what's happening. I'll give you an example. I I was talking to someone who works for a, a larger hospitality organization, and they recognized them as a potential for management, signed them up for this prestigious program. And then when the company started to go downhill a little bit, the pandemic set in, they scrapped the program. 
okay, maybe understandable because they need to get things back together. However, when the company recovered, they never brought any of that back. They left that person hanging. And so that damage of, well, I thought you recognized me, but you're only recognizing me when it's convenient for you. But human capital is so, so important. And your work is not done well if your people are not happy or don't understand what's happening or leadership is not being transparent. Yeah, I think the the thing that strikes me and stands out the most is just this idea around alignment in terms of if you say one thing as an organization, you need to make sure that the actions actually match what you say. And in a lot of cases, not offering that thing is probably actually better if you're transparent about it than saying that you're doing that thing and then not actually doing it. And I think that is, at least from my observation, one of the challenges that sometimes companies get into is that Mm -hmm. uh, they say one thing and then the reality is reflected as being something different. Exactly. Exactly. So Nicole, you've been, you just told me before we got on air, you've been uh, on this full time for a little bit over a year. So congratulations. And as we wrap up here, what are you excited about uh, ahead and what's in store for you for the next year or so? Yes. Oh, we are in full reflection mode with our team right now. We're thinking about over the next year, probably going to be growing by a team member just to help support the work that we're doing because we've had the pleasure of working with companies and we really love that. But we're also finding that there's a lot of DEI strategic work that's also necessary when working with state governments, and they're also connecting back to universities. So we're exploring some new territories as we do this work too. So we're excited about that growth. And then we're excited about offering some programming specific to early career professionals. So stay tuned for that. And so there's a couple of things that are coming up in the works and a couple of speaking engagements that we have lined up. But more than anything, just continuing to find new ways to help early career professionals reflect on just how incredible they are and stepping forth in that excellence and in that brilliance. And then also just leveling with organizations in how they approach and nurture and develop these relationships because and helping them spotlight what that looks like for the future for them in a way that is simple, in a way that is understandable. It's really important for us to work on the bookend side of things there. So we're just really excited about that and where this next year will go. I'm also excited for what we don't know (laughs) that's going to happen. For sure. Nicole Gwenzura, CEO and founder of EAC, thank you so much for joining today. If organizations or people want to learn more about you and what you do, where can they go and where should they find you? Yes, LinkedIn. If you look up Nicole Guanzura, G-W-A-N-Z-U-R-A, I know I will share that information. If you look me up on LinkedIn, you can find me there. I love hanging out on LinkedIn. You can also always email me at hello at simplyeac.com. And then you can go to our website, www.simplyeac.com. So those are the major ways to get in touch. Drop, drop me a note. Uh, I would love to connect. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, 
make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.